0: Welcome to episode 16 of the Big J and Little J Show. I am Jordan, and with me as always is Connor O'Neill from Rivals. Connor, you were at the Duke and North Carolina A&T game week three. What did you think? Uh,
1: I thought I should have stopped taking my play-by-play notes on the first page of my yellow legal pad, but I had written the team names on the second page, so I felt like I needed to at least go to that second page. <laughs> <laughs> but in all seriousness, I mean, Duke did what they needed to do. Um, not that, not that it wouldn't have played out the way it did, but I think it really helped that Duke got the big kick return from Jalen Stinson to start the game, and then took a weird delay of game penalty that is kind of inexplicable, um, and then the first play from scrimmage is a touchdown and Nicky Dalmolin. So those two things you you feel like okay we're coming into a game we should win then when you put those two out there right away it's like all right we're we're on our way here um you know the the fumble recovery came a little bit later in the first quarter I think I don't know if that was their second or third touchdown and then the next touchdown came it was 21 nothing by what like six minutes left in the first quarter so
0: yeah I mean it What I'll tell you exactly what it reminded me of, which is a good thing as a Duke fan in me, but a bad thing as PTSD as a Ferum basketball player was when we would play the D1 teams and they just pay us to be a spot 50. It's like from the opening tip, it's like, okay, your center's 6'10", 6'11", our guy's 6'6". He's got about 45 pounds on him. I mean, we played high point one year and that was when Jay Billis was tweeting about high point basketball because John Brown played a high point. He was the best dunker in NCAA basketball. And John Brown, people don't know, but you can look up this guy, John Brown, on YouTube. He has dunks that were on top 10 all the time. He has a dunk I'm not dunked on, but I am in the frame, but I'm not dunked on. (laughs) And and they had a – their starting center was a former four-star that played at Florida that was 6'10", 6'11", like 270, but all muscle. And the only reason he stopped playing at Florida is because he had a heart condition. But at high point – he went and saw he went and saw somebody else independently out of Florida and they cleared him. And then another doctor, like high point, cleared him. And so he played a high point. And oh my God. I got switched on him in the post. And it looked like uh, North Carolina ANT defensive lineman going against Duke's offensive line. It was just pancakes. <laughs> and so first play of the game to Nikki down the seam. I was like, okay, they're just better. And this is gonna be. Relaxing rather than last year, where I'm sweating out a 23-yard or 23-play, 86-yard drive to start the game with North Carolina A&T just moving the line of scrimmage against Duke. Oh, yeah, were you
1: happy? Were you how happy were you that Duke was actually going to take the ball
0: first? Oh, I was, I was, I was happy. I was very happy. I think that
1: was not there. Just I think a won the toss. I can't remember for sure, but I don't think that was up to Duke. I will. I am curious if like. You know, it's a new staff, obviously. But I am curious if given last year, and Mike Elko was aware that that happened last year, if the plan all along was to take the ball first, even if Duke had won uh, the toss.
0: Yeah, I didn't write many notes because I'm not going to touch on A&T as much of this episode than preview for Kansas. But the couple of things that I did see and say was, like, the defense was lucky at times. Like, a and T. I I (laughs) mean, their wide receiver – didn't have feet for hands, then they would have made it a little bit more interesting in the first half, especially the end of the half. They had a touchdown literally go off the guy's chest, like his hands and his chest, and they end up kicking a field goal, I think. To yeah, go I don't even remember uh, that. The only reason I know that is because I had Duke minus 20 and a half first half, and that was that would have backdoored me, but he dropped it. And uh Yeah, so they they missed some opportunities, and Duke gave up some plays like the first team gave up some plays but it's was also like you could tell they weren't fully dialed in, dialed in once they got out to a comfortable lead but as like a former player and I understand when you know who your opponent is and it's like okay you can coast and the second team came in and they I said they had healthy reps aka they were gashed like they yeah, had
1: that I mean, if if you're looking for negatives, that's where you start. The, yeah. the fourth quarter drives that the second team defense gave up.
0: Yeah, that was not that was not ideal because that shows how I don't even know if it's a drop off in talent, just a drop off in experience. Because A and T had like a ninety some yard drive, I want to say, and it went like seven plays, ninety three yards in like three minutes.
1: Well, yeah, and the problem is. You know, you look out at the second-team Duke defense, you're looking at a lot of second-year guys in the secondary that if you don't bring in Darius Joyner and Speedy Young uh, or if those guys come in and they're not healthy for whatever reason, you know, a lot of times you'll get a transfer that, hey, I'll, <laughs> you find out after he's been on campus for a couple of weeks that he's got a knee that needs an operation. Like,
0: yeah,
1: there's, there's some scary stories out there in the portal. So... Yeah, uh, some of those second team secondary guys were one of those situations away from being a starter. Um, I'm talking about like, you know, the Cam Bergerons, Isaiah Fisher Smiths, those type of guys. Um that's not a good look, but again, it's it's early, it's the third game. Uh they're gonna develop. I you you have a lot more faith in this coaching staff than the previous one and being able to develop talent and uh, grow players throughout a season, yep. And that's just based on what they've done, what they've done, growth-wise in the past nine months. When it was the preseason in spring, uh, we'll see. In in-season growth is something we still have to figure out about this staff.
0: Oh yeah, one hundred percent. And that's uh, one of the the biggest positive for the second team getting shredded, basically, to put it bluntly is they, the staff now has game film to show those players. Yeah. Like, practice film and game film are completely different of a mindset for a player because you don't see the vision that the coaches are teaching you in practice film as much as you do in the game film. When you screw up in game film, it's like, oh, the light bulb goes off. So and, those mistakes can be corrected.
1: And every cro- coach will tell you it's a lot easier to look good on practice sometimes when you're playing your offense. Mm-hmm. You're playing your offense every, every time. Um, eventually your defense knows what the offense is doing and vice versa so when you get out there and play a different offense when you go out there and play a different defense that game film that you're talking about it becomes so much more valuable to the staff uh, they they become such better tools in terms of being able to teach your players technique and what they did right what they did wrong that kind of thing
0: yeah and speaking of the team that progresses through a season like you said we have to still see if Duke can progress through the season talk about let's talk about Kansas because they progressed all throughout last season and the momentum carried into this season and this was a team you were high on and uh the the season preview episode you said this was a team that you might have had Duke for a loss back then before Kansas started three and oh so hats off to you uh Lance I, Leipold man that yeah, guy won, like, six divisions. D3, maybe.
1: Yeah, it was D3.
0: Yeah, it was Wisconsin-Whitewater. Like, six national championships there? You, six national championships in eight years? You don't win
1: championships on any level as a bad coach. No. that's just, it's just something that, you know, it's, that's where uh, fans will kind of drive me crazy, where it's like, oh, he's just coaching D3. Yeah, it, it's pretty hard to coach D3 when you're not giving scholarships.
0: Yeah. And there's some guys in, like, Wisconsin Whitewater and that level of Division three, those guys are FCS talent level. Like, those guys yeah. can really play. You'd be surprised. Going to talk about, like, Kansas ESPN's power – power – football power index. I don't really pay attention to that stuff, but it's, it's cool to, like, write down or note as the season progresses. They have Kansas at 73% chance to win the game against Duke. And beginning of the season, it was probably like 50-50, if I had to guess. I haven't been taking notes, but it struck me. I was like, wow, like the FPI has Kansas as this highly favored. So it had me wondering. When we look at the rest of Duke's schedule and see who has a higher football power index to beat Duke, and only two teams have that, and can you name them? Yeah.
1: I, I know of three, so I'm curious which one isn't higher. so like three three come to mind immediately, correct. So you know which three I'm thinking of, so you got wait and I've got the schedule I've got the schedule right out literally like eight yeah. inches away from from the zoom camera.
0: So who's your three? Miami? Yes, they are number one. They have a ninety percent chance. Pitt? Pitt is number two. That's the other one at eighty-seven percent.
1: So, how far is Wake away from Kansas?
0: Wake is sixty-four percent.
1: You want to know the? I mean, the secret with with FBI and why I put little to no value in it.
0: Yeah, I mean, I have absolutely zero value in it. But what's yours? They take recruiting rankings into account. I mean, I'm pretty sure. Northwestern when we did this because I'll pull up ESPN to just have some stats in front of me uh, to back up the stats I've written down and I'm pretty sure Northwestern was like at 67-68% and Duke never trailed in that game so again take it for what it's worth it's just very interesting to see after three weeks like wow and Duke's like favored in three games so yeah, that's
1: uh, you know they're halfway to bowl <laughs> eligibility <laughs>
0: Go over three and a half wins, please. Maybe that can happen this week. But to simulate Kansas, do you think Duke put Jordan Moore at QB? It's interesting. I just wrote
1: into the preview that will publish on Friday. Uh, the, the quote of the week was Darius Joyner. No, that wasn't what I put in for a quote of the week. The quote of the week is Darius Joyner because Darius Joyner is a quote machine. Um, he's hilarious he made an interesting point about Kansas quarterback, Jalen Daniels. Uh, He's a dynamic runner. And he basically said, you know, maybe we're more prepared to play a quarterback like that because we spent all fall camp playing Jordan Moore. I don't Uh, think Duke, I don't think Duke puts Jordan Moore out there with the scout team. Like you want your, your guy who has a touchdown catch in three straight games to keep working as a receiver. Like maybe if Jordan Moore had been a receiver the last two or three years, you might be able to spare him and throw him over on the scout team a couple of times, but you also got to remember, he's been playing receiver for about five weeks now. So you want him to get work over there. Uh, But yeah, that was an interesting, I thought it was interesting enough to write it down and pub and it'll publish. It's like, yeah, I mean, you know, their quarterback is electric. He's dynamic, but we had one of the best athletes on our team playing quarterback, you know, in a battle. Like he was, he wasn't just in there against the twos. He was, in the starting quarterback battle, like the one defense had to try to thud up uh, or touch down Jordan Moore for three weeks in fall camp.
0: So, and my other thing too, is funny that you brought Joyner into this with that great quote. Uh, I wonder if Joyner will be assigned to Jalen Daniels, like a QB spy type of safety, because we see the flexibility he's done with coverage and open field tackles and, Jalen Daniels is Kansas offense is the Kansas offense. He makes everything go. He's explosive. He's dynamic. And Joyner is the captain, whether you like it or not. Like I know Shaka and uh, Dorian are like the linebackers and they call the plays and stuff and they're in the action. But Darius Joyner is that guy for Duke's defense. He can be anywhere at any time.
1: Yeah. It'll be interesting. That's, that's an interesting point. I mean, when you're asking a safety to come down into the box and spy, you're asking to to load up the box. And if Kansas can get one-on-one matchups on the outside and take advantage of them, you know, if they can beat Speedy Calhoun or Speedy Young and uh, Joshua Pickett on the outside, you can't spy. You you need the safeties to stay deep. So, yeah, I, I see it as maybe it's a scenario where that's plan B and plan A is to have – shaka slash dorian spy um dorian is the interesting piece of this with his injury you know he's dealing with a think it's a lower body injury is what we're categorizing it as uh he didn't play against Ant, but he was suited up and it was one of those situations where uh i'm i'm kind of getting the information as the game is going so by the time i can put out there he's suited up there's a helmet that i think is his that is like on top of an equipment uh like thing but he's with the defense right now by the way it's 21 nothing so there is almost no benefit to putting him in this game yeah if he's dealing with an injury why would you want to put him out there and risk anything when you could just rest him up get him another week of treatment and then have him ready to go for you know i can't believe we're this deep into this without mentioning it but the champions classic of the gridiron
0: the basketball yeah. I don't like i I like Champions Classic of the Gridiron. I'm I mean, sick of that. Diet. That's, that's I've already written policy. it. That's perfectly fine. I am hey, <laughs> the only the only people that are dead to me is everybody at College Game Day and every other platform that's going to Knoxville for Tennessee and Florida.
1: As as I told people uh, on Saturday night, they they are they're not going to do two quirky places in a row. They're not going to go from Boone, North Carolina. All due respect to Boone, North Carolina. Yeah. But that was that was a quirky pick,
0: especially I, when you're
1: playing Troy. Uh and then go to Kansas. Like I, they were they were gonna go to where their bread is buttered.
0: So I get that sentiment, but it would be cool for College Game Day to find a different niche. Like they've been on the air for like thirty years. So I get it. And they always go to like primetime events and stuff. But it was so cool to have the niche of going to Boone because they upset Texas A and M and then like McAfee is now on is bringing more energy. And then like Luke Combs was electric with his picks. Like he actually looked like he knew he was talking about football. I don't care what his record was. He was still entertaining. And my point being though, that they go to sec nine out of the 12 weeks, it seems like. So if you can find a niche, Ohio state in there. Yeah. If you find a niche of just going to like, what's trending right now, like it would get views and it would be like, People would make fun of it and be mean to death, but that's the whole point of like social media and that gives you unique viewership. It's something that college game day could go for. And same with college game day of basketball. Like Grand Canyon has the best, arguably the best student section in Division One basketball. it's electric. Go there.
1: Big business. Oh, I know. And they're gonna go to where their bread is buttered. I'll
0: say it again. Last year, Duke won forty or fifty-two to thirty-three, but just scratch that, throw it away does not matter because literally both teams are completely different because
1: yeah, Jay, I, I didn't even realize I'd forgotten that Jalen Daniels missed that
0: game. Yeah. He didn't play Jason Dean played was quarterback and he's the backup now and Duke obviously new coaching staff and basically new players. I could not go to sleep last night. So I rewatched part of that game and just the secondary is getting shredded, but literally everybody that was in the picture besides Jalen Stinson who actually had a good game rewatching it, they were all gone. And then obviously Gunner and them Mateos all gone. Ball ball security in that game was awful. Holy hell! I seeing, <laughs> watching three games now under Elko and seeing like a glimpse of last year. Like Mateo was so explosive, but my God, if he got tackled normally, that ball is out. and he had a huge gain against uh, against kansas and just got clipped like not a not a hard tackle at all and the ball came out and luckily rolled out of bounds i'm like this is high school level hits that we're talking about and yeah just a lot of loose balls that i coach k would have been yelling dive on the floor it was just incredible So What
1: what does that tell you about a team that was uh, minus 19 in turnover margin in 2020? And what does that tell you about the coaching staff?
0: I'll tell you what tells me about myself is that I was so numb for three years. I knew a turnover was going to come, but if one turnover a game happened, I'd be okay. But then I'd lose it after two. Three and four, I'd lose my mind. But I was so accustomed to one or two, I thought Duke could still win those games. But – going.
1: I went back and uh, to to write my story that's already published, the one on Monday. Uh, I went back and dug into the numbers of past years, and it's like I went. I had to go back to the first three games of 2018 to find the last time Duke had three straight games by, of winning the turnover margin. Um, you know, I'm I'm going back, and it's like, yeah, I know the last two years they're they're going to lose it a lot because they were minus 26 combined but even that 2019 season, they were five and seven and some of the teams they beat weren't terrible teams. Like that Virginia tech team turned things around and I think won eight games. Duke blew them out. And I think still lost the turnover battle. Like there were, there were games where I'm looking at, like, you know, you have to remember my background is, is covering a wake team that man, it's, it's kind of the sky is falling. If they lose a turnover battle, they take such good care of the ball and they, on the flip side, their defense was geared toward creating turnovers with Lyle Hempill, Duke's now current safeties coach, as their defensive coordinator. It's not a coincidence there. Um, and then I'm, I'm looking at these Duke boxes from even 2018, when they were eight-win team, nine-win team, with a first-round pick at quarterback, and they're losing turnover battles. And it's like, how – how do they have this much talent to be able to overcome committing four turnovers and still scoring like 35 points?
0: Well, and that's why I could never beat Virginia at the end. I mean, Bronco just came in and literally Daniel or Duke's offense was guaranteed five turnovers every outing. And that's just what started my frustration with the program was the incompetence of not making adjustments and being careless. You have the talent. Shit, 2020, they go 2-8, and eight and five of those players are drafted. And Chase Bryce is or QB, who has seemed to be at least above average in the fun belt, oh, by the way, did enough and didn't turn the ball over against Texas A&M and beat him on the road. I don't care if he was 15-30. to 30, He had zero interceptions. That's how you win a game. He had, like, three or four at Duke a game. And, yeah, so just – I, rem-
1: I remote-covered Duke's one – ACC win in the last two seasons and they lost the turnover battle in that game at Syracuse. I think it was like five to one. Yeah. It's the first time I've ever seen a team win
0: when losing
1: the turnover battle that bad.
0: Dude, It was so, I was so numb to that and I never realized it until I rewatched the Kansas game last night, just to get a feel for this weekend. So Kansas ended up winning two games last year. And, but The key point of that is Jalen Daniels took over because I'm pretty sure uh, Jason Dean was the starting quarterback until the second half of the season. Jalen Daniels did not start because Dean was leading the team in categories game by game when I was looking up uh, the box scores.
1: I think Daniels was in there in packages. Yeah, And then the week before they came to Duke, they played somebody decent, I think. Maybe it was the Kansas State-Kansas game. Uh, If that's an early season, I I can't imagine it would have been. But anyway, the week before his stat line was like zero for one or one for two. Uh, And if I remember correctly, I don't, but I feel like my memory is that uh, we were kind of questioning like what Kansas would look like at quarterback against Duke because they had some question about whether Jalen Daniels would play. And he ended up, I think he missed the entire month of October when he came back, uh, I think it was the Kansas state game that he came back in. Not that he got hurt initially. He came back in that game when their offense had stagnated and moved the ball. And that made him the quarterback for the last month of the year. And yeah, like, like you mentioned in the intro, I mean, he's, he's snowballed his success into this season. And, um, I can't imagine there's many quarterbacks in the big 12 playing better than him right now.
0: No, I mean, I kept saying Dean, Jason Dean is Jason bean with a B. Uh, yeah, Kansas, Mr.
1: Bean. Put some respect on Mr. Bean's
0: name. Mr. Bean's. Kansas is 4-2 and two in their last six games with Jalen Daniels at QB, and that is an upset win at Texas, 57 yeah. six overtime win. And the two losses were at TCU, they lost by three, 31-28. And then at West Virginia last year – or at home against West Virginia last year, they lost 34-28. And Jeez. then they're 3-0 oh this year, at which – and they beat – West Virginia at West Virginia by 13 in overtime, which you don't see ever because obviously.
1: I've covered a pick six overtime game. It's once you once you see that once, it's kind of like, oh, okay, that happens. Yeah. Until you see it, it's mind-blowing.
0: Yeah, and crazy cover there. Uh Kobe, <laughs> all-time electric call on the game one interception. I don't know who was broadcasting that, but she said. One word for 15 seconds, and it was interception, and then you just see him going out the (laughs) sideline, pure silence, and then he scores They celebrate. Said Kansas beats West Virginia. Like, did you just like die and come back to life when you said interception? (laughs) So, yeah, they they're arguably the hottest team in the country that nobody except now is talking about. Like, they've had they've shown improvement through the end of last season and they've steamrolled that with. This season with transfers, with the coaches, with the progressions, with the comfortability, the culture, everything. And it's been a perfect storm. I mean, they come into this game averaging 53 points a game. 53 points per game. I don't care if you played UMass three straight times. 53 points a game is 53 points per game. And they're lighting it up. And they have the number one one most efficient offense. Duke is number six. And let's see. Also, the last two games, Kansas has been down 14-0 in both games and came back to win.
1: That's that's my thing is it's the game within the game to me is how these teams start because Duke has gotten off to these blazingly hot starts, 24-0 Temple, and then the last two have been both 21-0. A&T was 28-3. So does that play out again? And if so, like, it is trailing by two or three touchdowns exactly where Kansas wants to be because – that I'm sure they don't want to keep falling behind by that much, but they're obviously comfortable coming behind. Uh, and the Duke version is this is what I wrote about today. Um, there's an inevitable cooldown when you get up that much. And you have to balance whether your team is letting off the gas and getting complacent. That's always a word that everybody likes to use or whether it's just human nature, like, like Mike Elko has told us, you're not going to score every time you touch the ball. You, you know, not even Alabama with the Heisman winner does that. Um, you know, and Mike, Mike has a pretty good sense of humor. Mike joked when I asked him how he balances uh, the hot starts versus these second quarter lulls, um, what he likes and what he doesn't like. And he's like, he, he said, uh, well, I'm not going to trade it like I'm not I'm not going to trade being up 21 nothing for the the alternative like who needs that so it's an interesting point like it, it's it's kind of it's kind of this uncharted territory for Duke like when's when's the last time I don't I don't have the numbers on this I don't know how anybody would really other than some deep research but when's the last time Duke went 3 games in a row with a 20 plus point lead in the first 16 or 17 minutes of a game
0: never there's your research <laughs> no, i'm just kidding uh, so yeah that's a great point so that's
1: you know don't be uh taking the dog to the dog park or or uh getting a late late brunch or anything like that you're gonna want to watch the first like 20 to 30 minutes of this game to see if either trend holds how how far ahead can Duke get? And then you're going to watch the next 20 or 30 minutes to see, okay, can Duke keep the the pedal down? Can Duke kind of keep Kansas uh, out of distance, at least a little bit, or is Kansas going to do the same thing they've done the last two games to so West Virginia and Houston?
0: Yeah. And when I say they're down 14, nothing, like they, came back against Houston, and it was 14-14 at the end of the first quarter. Like, it wasn't 14 yeah. nothing. came back in, like, the third quarter. It was 14-14 at the end of the first quarter. It was 14 nothing in West Virginia. Then it was 14-14. And then it was 28-14 West Virginia. And then Kansas comes back again. So, like, no lead is safe. If Duke fans were worried about the Northwestern game, we're up 21 nothing, and it was 21-17, <laughs> imagine that all happening in a quarter because that's yeah. what happened. They are – Their offense is, I want to say it's very similar to Coastal's. It's a triple option wrinkle with passing game, and Coastal's been very good at it, but Kansas and Leipold are a lead at it. I mean, again, 53 points per game. And, oh, by the way, like, I already have it for a key of the game for Duke. Spoiler alert. And it probably is the key of the game for Duke. But you got to get your ass off the field at third down or fourth down because they are third in the country at third down. Success rate at 69%. They're 24 35 total from on third down. And then they're two for three on fourth. So if, if you don't get them on third down, or if you do get them on third down, you better nut up for that fourth down because they're coming and they are kind of like, again, a triple option team to where their third downs are third and four or less. So yeah. get them at third and four and you stop them for fourth and 2 you we're going to have to stop them again because They're going for it, and the two schools in front of them Georgia second, but first is Minnesota at 83 percent. Oh, god, very shocking to me for that the guy's
1: a used car salesman,
0: yeah. <laughs> Jay Fleck. Oh, that's hilarious. Uh, why do you say that? We have side conversation, <laughs>
1: yeah. I just, I'm not a fan of the cliche and the you know, or the, the boat. yeah, just. Some people like it. I don't.
0: Yeah, Jerry Kill doesn't either. Pretty sure Jerry Kill doesn't like him. So yeah, my key of the game, Connor, is Duke's third down defense and third down offense. After starting against Temple, one of nine on third down, they were, yeah, believe it or not, against Temple they were one of nine because they that.
1: well they had all the all the field goal attempts.
0: Yeah, and they when they scored those touchdowns as first and second downs at Northwestern, they're four of 10, which isn't terrible. I mean, you want to, you want to range like four of 10, five of 10. Yeah. And then a and seven of nine again, inferior opponent, but it's good to see that the numbers are increasing. Like they're going, they're going in the right direction. And so that 43% on third down, if they can get to 60% at Kansas, whose defense is suspect, like as much as, Kansas' offense is fun and exciting. Johns might have a field day with exploiting matchups. And if Duke can be more physical than Northwestern in the trenches, and then they should not have a problem against Kansas in the trenches. Just problem with Kansas is can you get off the field defensively because Duke's defense also has given up some big plays.
1: The other problem with that is Northwestern might actually suck given they lost to Southern Illinois.
0: Well, I thought it was an even year, Connor.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm not off the bandwagon yet. I'm just uh, – we're kind of on wobbly footing. Like, they, their one win was against Nebraska. It's already fired their coach, and now they've lost to an FCS. It's uh, a little tenuous.
0: I will say this about Northwestern. The year they went to the Big Ten championship, they lost to Duke and Akron in the regular season, and the sky was falling then after he goes <laughs> to Duke and Akron. So, I just think Pat Fitzgerald doesn't give – he's like Coach Mac, Jay McPherson. He doesn't give a damn about non-conference. He wants to win the conference games. That's all he cares about. Coach Mac was my high school coach. Connor covered me in high school, so that's why it's a funny joke. But we had the North Carolina Game of the Week at Northern Guilford. Like, the everybody was there. I had zero points and five fouls. The only time I ever fouled out, and it was a zero-burger. And we lost, and – it was ugly. The next day it was a Friday night game and then Saturday noon game at Cummings the next day. And I had 30 points and 14 rebounds. And we had a big win, bounce back win. The first thing Coach Mac said to me is like, You couldn't do that last night. I'd much rather you do that last night than today. But yeah, that's what Pat Fitzgerald reminds me of as high school coach, Coach Mac of uh, doesn't give a damn about non-conference. He just wants to win the conference games. And so far they're one and two with they're 1-0 and oh in the conference. 1-0 oh in the conference, I'm telling you. I think they bounced back big against Miami of Ohio this week. I don't see them on a three-game skid. I think he's going to get them right going into conference play. One thing about that loss, too, is now the national media is moving the goalpost again for Duke. Like, the side tangent is, wow, Duke, impressive win against Temple. Wow, the huge win. Like, Elko and them, great job, 2-0. and And now it's like, well, Temple sucks, and Northwestern now sucks. So is Duke even that good? Okay, keep moving the goalposts there. Seven-point favorites against Temple, beating them by 30. Temple should have beat Rutgers last week. They lost by two, 16-14, a Rutgers team that beat Boston College, who Duke plays. Northwestern, regardless if they're one and two, Evan Hole is an NFL running back, and then their tight end is really good. Holinsky is not that good but they got guys so they can keep moving the goalposts i don't care oh these teams are just ass they go from saying that they're not good to me- that makes duke not good like,
1: yeah i they, those are separate in my mind and i yeah. get that the other people don't make that separation and it's lazy not to but 100 yeah. percent, I, I think duke i think duke is is good i think I think we could still still be saying Duke is not a bad football team, even if they lose this game at Kansas.
0: Oh, 100%. I mean, I'm not going to be devastated if Duke loses to Kansas. Yeah. It's just what can you learn from this outcome because conference play is coming. And it's two winnable conference games. We'll start with one, a winnable conference game after Kansas. And then the next one is just as winnable. Maybe their coach is not coaching there anymore because he – Jeff Collins might be gone by the time Duke plays Georgia Tech, which I hope doesn't happen because there's nothing worse than playing a team that just fired the coach because then they come out and it's all hoorah and it's a bunch of Rudy's running out there and they just play their asses off.
1: Yeah, like Nebraska did this week.
0: Well, yeah, against Oklahoma. <laughs> hey, that was a great first drive. They can never <laughs> take away the first drive. I was thinking more so uh Richmond. When then their coach stepped down right before they played Duke with Cutcliffe. Pretty sure that was the case. Their coach stepped down like a week or two before the game and their interim came and beat Duke at Duke. That's just what I remember.
1: Would that have been Mike London?
0: I don't know. I don't know. Might have been. I mean, ODU fired their offensive coordinator two weeks before Virginia Tech and they beat Virginia Tech. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, what the hell are we doing? I'll get us back on. So that's track. your key to
1: the game for Duke to beat Kansas.
0: What's that? Is
1: everything we just talked about?
0: Yeah, yeah. Everything that we just talked about. <laughs> my key to the game is get off the field on third down and stay on the field. Make yours third and manageable. So yeah. that's my key to the game.
1: Say so my key to the game is I I I cannot Get past what this first quarter, first quarter and a half is going to look like. I mainly because, all right, if I'm going to move past that, I want to see what happens when Duke trails. Like, I think this is probably the first game Duke is going to have a deficit. They haven't trailed all year. I think this is the one that happens. I mean, if it doesn't, then more power to them. Bo obviously does not agree with that. But yeah, I, I just – I want to see – I think I have a pretty good idea of the metal of Duke. Like, I think they're a mentally sharp team. I think they have good leadership, uh, which is really impressive when you consider it's a new staff. Um, the the kind of the, the bond that's been forged between the older players and the new staff in the last nine months is pretty strong. You just have to see – like, eventually you're going to trail in a game. Like, Georgia trailed last year. Georgia lost a game. Mm-hmm. Uh, every team falls behind at some point. And since that hasn't happened for Duke, I want to see what it looks like and, and how they respond when it does happen.
0: So Kansas opened up as an eight-point favorite. They're seven and a half now versus Duke. This is the first time the Jayhawks have been favored versus a Power 5 team since November 7, 2009, when Kansas was a one-and-a-half point favorite against Kansas State. Kansas State won seventeen ten. 10 the last time Kansas was favored over a non conference Power Five team was September 19th, 2029, 20, 2009, as a 23 and a half point favorite at home versus Duke. Wow. So it And been was, like, those uh, were
1: baby years of Cutcliffe, too, weren't they?
0: Yeah. Yeah. And that was the tail end of the Mangini, the goat of Kansas football. And that was that. Yeah. That was. Might have been his first year because I'm pretty sure Thad Lewis was a senior that year. And Thad Lewis came in and we Duke ended up losing like 49-14, I think, because Kansas was explosive. Now Kansas is a seven and a half point favorite. And they've been great. I've bet on them every week so far in college for the last two weeks because Vegas can't get the number right with them. They're six and oh in their last six games against the spread because they just they're in this rhythm. I think this is somewhat of an overcorrection. In terms of sports betting, like Pat Fitzgerald and Northwestern, you always bet them as an underdog. When they're the favorite, they don't cover. And I think this is the same with Kansas. I think seven and a half is a lot of points. I think Duke can uh, biased. I think Duke can win. Will they win? I don't know. That again, third down, you got to stop the run too. But as a gambler, I think seven and a half is way too much. So uh, Duke's plus seven and a half is easy for me.
1: I hope it's close. I mean, I, I'm going to sound like a broken record here, but the first, the first 23 and a half minutes or 22 and a half minutes get into the midway second quarter. And I want to see where this game is. It's not going to be seven to three. I, I can almost guarantee you that like one team is going to have at least three or four touchdowns at that point. Both of them might so I really really want to see how the early fireworks of this game I don't think that's going to be a you know this is going to be my go-to um, example of this it's not going to be Duke and Carolina in the final four where the first four minutes are just uh, heavyweights feeling each other out yeah. it's going to be it's going to be haymakers flying uh, it's going to be big momentum plays and uh, whichever team comes out on, on the other side of those is going to go into the middle portion of the game with the advantage.
0: Um, it's, it's such an intriguing matchup. Yep. And uh, the most important thing that I have to note is I will not be watching this game. I will not know what's going on because I will be coaching at a basketball event Saturday and Sunday. So I... Will not be knowing what's going on, so I will not be live tweeting I will be hopefully I can watch the full recap on YouTube like later Saturday night or Sunday night, but I wish this would have happened like either week one or last week, but instead, it happened this weekend when this is the biggest game of the season, so hopefully I'll have notifications that are positive and not negative. But- <laughs> I also took the over in this game. I think this is going to be 40s. Yeah. Like 42 to 38. Yeah. Something like that. I don't know who wins. I'll say I'll say Duke wins 42-38. I cash my wins total over four games in the season. Connor? I'm
1: not giving I'm not giving a winner or loser prediction. I just want to soak it in uh, as best I can while I'm covering Clemson Wake.
0: Yeah, no, I totally understand that. Next week will be episode 17. We'll cover Wake Forest as they play Florida State. And then the Duke episode will be episode 18, where Duke will open up conference play against Virginia at home. A winnable game. Hopefully Duke will be going into episode 18, 4-0, looking to be 5-0.